Hey, uh, you guys doing good today? Good. Well, uh, like David said, my name is Grant Anderson, and I am excited. Maybe he doesn't have a future in announcements. I don't know. (laughs) I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, Excited to share some good news. How many of you guys know this book? It's full. It's full of good news. Amen. Well, I think I think it was Friday this week. David came into my office and he was like, "Hey, Grant, I want you to give the message this weekend." and I was like, uh, alrighty, not a ton of prep time, but I'm on it. I can do it. I'll make it happen. And so just a heads up, if things go south this morning, you can direct your frustration at David today, not at me. Uh, some of you guys are sitting here right now and you're like, that does not sound at all like David. He's like the most organized, structured, scheduled out human being I have ever met. That just doesn't seem like something he'd do. And you're right. You're right. He actually asked me like two months ago. And so... <laughs> But that doesn't change the fact that I'm a massive procrastinator and I waited until yesterday to write this message. Some of you guys are like, is this guy serious? Like, I cannot tell. But if you know me at all, you know I'm often not that serious. And so uh, you don't have anything to be worried about. I didn't write my message yesterday. It's all going to be good. Uh, In all seriousness, though, I am. I'm excited to share some good news with you guys this morning. And maybe you're new to church and you're like, Grant, what? in the world is this good news, well, Ted Lasso, season two, is here. <laughs> Just, that, that is good news, but that's not the good news that I'm, I'm talking about. There's better news. There's better news. And that's this, that's that Jesus has defeated death and he reigns as king. He's dealt with our sin and our corruption himself and he's conquered it with his life and with his love and he's invited us to be citizens of his kingdom. That's the gospel message. The gospel message. And the word gospel in Greek is this word euangelion, which literally translates to good news. And so today when I refer to good news, that's the good news that I am talking about. And so today we are going to start in Isaiah chapter 52. So you guys can go ahead, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, you can grab one from under the chair in front of you or open up the Renovation Church app. Um, we'll be on page 505 if you're following along with one of these Bibles. But you know, last week we baptized, David mentioned this, we baptized three people right here. And I love baptisms. I do. They're so good. I think every time that we do baptisms, we, we hear these stories of how people are showing up, they're finding Jesus, and, and their lives are transformed and changed forever. And I could listen to those testimonies for hours and not get bored. I'm, I'm sure there are many of you with me on that. But I think there's something in those stories that can make us think about how we sometimes just expect people to hear the good news of Jesus. We often expect them to come and just hear it right here. Just hear it right here. But how many of you guys can think of a story about someone who went out from here and personally led someone to Christ? Maybe, maybe you have. But when it comes to sharing the good news with those around us, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves from time to time, like, hey, how am I doing on this? Like, like how do I have room to grow as I go out from here Today And before you hear that today and you're like, ah, I'm just going to check out today. Don't need to hear that. That's not for me. That's for other people. That's for them. Like God's given some people that role, just not me. But sorry, guys. Hate to break it to you. That's not how it works. Jesus commanded all of his followers to go and spread the good news. Literally every gospel account in the Bible finishes with some sort of encouragement from Jesus to go. 
Matthew famously ends with, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Or here's Mark, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Or Luke, who writes in Acts 1, You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Finally, we have John, who writes, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Four different gospel accounts. Four different ways of saying the exact same thing. Go, proclaim the gospel, spread the message of Jesus. So I just want to make this clear right up front today. Like Jesus wasn't just talking to some of his followers. He wasn't talking to the more gifted ones or the ones who had it all together, those who had at least been following him for like a few years. Like he was talking to everyone. So I had you open to Isaiah 52. Let's read. We're going to be in verse 7. It says this. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Now, a little context of this verse. We're kind of just picking it right out of there. Uh, It lands right in the middle of this beautiful poem. That's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And you might be thinking, Grant, that doesn't sound beautiful at all. But God's people, the Israelites, they're in this place. There's this place where they're feeling defeated. They're feeling like God has abandoned them. Any of you ever felt that? But then in the middle of this place, in the middle of their despair, this messenger comes running to them, proclaiming, Good news, guys! Good news! The God of the Israelites, he still reigns. And one day, he's going to send a king, Jesus, who will reign on the throne forever. And I love the imagery that we see in this verse, how beautiful the feet. Like the feet are beautiful because they carry a beautiful message. And so today, my hope, my, my main hope is that we would just be energized that we'd have this renewed sense of joy to share the good news. Like, because guys, good news is good news for a reason. It should be shared joyfully. I was thinking about this earlier. Like, joy is kind of the proof that something is good news, right? Joy is the proof of that. And so we should be bursting with this news, running out on beautiful feet to share it. But that's easier said than done, right? It's a lot easier said than done. You know, in today's culture, I think the idea of evangelism or even the word evangelical, it's lost about all of its ability to describe the church. At the end of the day, being an evangelical church really should just mean that we put a strong emphasis on sharing the good news. But today, and not all for wrong reasons, for many people, evangelical is more of a political descriptor than it is anything else. And I think even recently, in the last couple of years, We've had this shift in culture where we've seen kind of the rise of like postmodern moral relativism where ideas of speak your truth or you do you or who am I to judge, they've just become cliche. And so in this culture, it feels really daunting and hard sometimes to preach the gospel to a people where one of the highest moral standards is just tolerance, right? Like, it's kind of uncomfortable to try and share your beliefs with people in this sort of culture. Never mind that all around us, people are preaching their own gospels all the time. 
like the gospel of careerism or sexual identity or political identity, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, How to Reach the West Again. The overall decline of Christian influence in the West is inarguable. Each generation is becoming less religious and less Christian. More than two-thirds of churches in the United States have plateaued or are in decline. While religion was broadly seen as a social good, or at least benign, increasing numbers of people now see the church as bad for people, a major obstacle to social progress. He later goes on to say that today's culture believes the thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. The thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. Woof. So how do we engage with a culture that thinks this way, right? Like, how do we carry out Jesus' call to go into the world and proclaim this good news? That's the big question for today. Fortunately, Jesus knew that this would be a question for his people, and so he has something to say about all of this. And so today, I want to look at just two specific spiritual practices that I think will help us reshape just kind of how we look at sharing the good news and what that means for us as we go out into this culture. And so if you still have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. That's page 744, if you're following along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Guys, here's the first thing I think that we need to understand about sharing this good news. It's it's that sharing the good news is a we thing, not a me thing. Now, don't hear that and think that I'm referring to like the, the kind of parts of the body, spiritual gifts thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's a wee thing, so you got this, right? No, we already went over that. What I'm saying is that our passion for spreading the good news is energized by our fellowship with others, and it starts together in the prayer room. Like we see all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. These are all we things. They're all we things. They're coming together and learning and sharing and meals and praying. And when they do all of this, they're like filled. They're filled to just overflowing with encouragement, with boldness. Guys, we're teammates in this fight. We make up the church. Thank God he didn't send us out individually because that would be a really lonely and daunting place to be. We need the encouragement of our friends and family. And sometimes we just quite literally need to just hype each other up, right? I can just picture Jesus' followers are sitting around the table together eating a nice rack of goat ribs. I don't know what they ate back then. Whatever it was. And they're like, oh man, I gotta tell you about this one interaction I had with this one person. Or or it's like, dude, you gotta hear what God was doing in so-and-so's life the other day. You know, I think some of us, some of you guys, some of you have been just so content hearing other people's stories for your whole life. Like, yeah, that's a great story. Or, wow, that person took a huge leap of faith, but eh, it's not really for me. 
here's the thing. Like, stop. Stop it. Stop being content with just hearing other people's stories. Like, there should be this Holy Spirit jealousy that wells up in you. Like, God, I'm really thankful that you keep using that person, but use me. Like, use me. And this is kind of what I picture when I read this passage. Like, they're all sitting around, they're sharing stories, and they're filled with boldness. So this is why proclaiming the gospel is a we thing, not a me thing. When we share and when we gather around the table together, when we pray together, God does something in and through us. It's why Jesus says where two or more are gathered, like, there I am with them. And we understand this, right? Like, it's one thing to get a text from someone asking for prayer and to respond with, like, praying with the emoji hands. It's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing to, like, get the group together. We're going to get together. We're going to pray, and we're going to fight this battle together in prayer. Those are two very different responses, right? And so this can take shape in our lives in tons of different ways. Like, maybe the last couple of years have weighed heavily on you, and you're, like, just fighting isolation. And you know you need to get plugged in with some people and find encouragement. And so you just need to join a house group. Or maybe you have a couple of neighbors you know that follow Jesus, and you need to start, like, a prayer group with them. And begin to just call the Holy Spirit into your neighborhood to transform it. Maybe for you, it just starts within your marriage. Like you've been doing life, you've been living with each other for a long time now, but you've kind of just been doing your own thing when it comes to spirituality. And it's time to start praying together. Sharing stories of what God's doing in you together. Because sharing the good news is a we thing, not a me thing. So that's the first step towards beautiful feet. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got some beautiful feet. David's going to be mad at me for that one. All right, now the next spiritual practice that I I want us to look at uh, is one that the Bible talks a lot about, but it's one that I don't think we maybe talk about near enough in the church today. Let me just rapid fire shoot a couple of verses at you, and let's see if you can pick up on what it is. First, Hebrews 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Did you guys pick it up? Guys, I think Jesus makes it clear And here's our second point today, that hospitality is the means by which we invite people into the kingdom of God. Jesus goes into even more detail of just what this looks like in Luke chapter 14. If you want to pick it up, Luke chapter 14, 12 verse 14, where he says, where it says this, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, and I love how just tidy the NIV is, like, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, like, is that not the most Minnesota-sounding phrase of all time? (laughs) Hey, guys, let's go have a luncheon. Like, I don't know. But he's saying, hey, when you throw a party, and notice, by the way, Jesus just assumed that his followers would throw parties. I think a lot of us grew up in a culture where party was, like, a dirty word, right? It was, and I understand that. Like, I think what Jesus means here is something entirely different than what party means at, like, the U of M. But he just assumed that we would all throw parties, And he said, don't invite your friends 
your brothers or your sisters, and I, I think this is hyperbole here, but you get the point, your relatives or your rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. For most of us, we're sitting here like, yeah, that sounds kind of nice, actually. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, this kind of hospitality that Jesus is talking about means something very different in the New Testament than what we would imagine it to mean in our modern world. This word that he's using is, is philoxenia, which in Greek is a compound word. Philo means love. Think Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, which, side note, I find ironic because people from Philadelphia are not like the kindest human beings. Maybe I'm just a bitter Vikings fan. I don't know. I digress. But Philo means love. Xena means stranger or foreigner. And so hospitality is the exact opposite of xenophobia. It's not the fear or the hate of the stranger. It's the love and the welcome of the stranger. The welcome of everyone as a guest in your house. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, writes this. She says, Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live in it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every single human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. I think it's important for me to make this clear. Hospitality is not the same thing as entertainment. Like when I say hospitality, a lot of you are probably thinking of like Joanna Gaines in like a beautifully styled kitchen with just the perfect setup of like muted terracotta dishware. And there's, it's a beautiful island, probably vertical shiplap painted just the right shade of green. Lots of gold accents, right? Like it's, it's perfect. It's beautiful. And God bless Go- Joanna Gaines. Seriously. Like I love me some fixer-upper. It's not bad. But that version of hospitality writes off a lot of people. Like how do you do that if you're poor? Or how do you do that if you just don't have high-end dishware or you live in a house with four other single dudes, right? And by the way, Jesus did not have any of that. And so this is not what the New Testament writers meant when they talked about hospitality. To compare and contrast, entertainment is about exclusion. You invite the in crowd. Hospitality is about inclusion. It's an open table where all are welcome. Entertainment is about performance. You show off your house or maybe your culinary skills, whatever. Hospitality is about service. Entertainment is sporadic. You schedule it out weeks in advance. It's an event on a calendar. Hospitality is just a regular, rhythmic way of life. It's core to the human, to the Christian spirituality. New Testament scholars point out this is where Jesus and the early church picked up on a practice of their current time. Hospitality was and still is a very high value in the near ancient East. Ancient Near East, whatever. Uh, But instead of using it as a way to gain favor, 
and like move up the social ladder. Jesus and his followers used it as a way of serving. Like Jesus aimed it down, not up. And it changed the world. Hospitality is not, it's not about having friends over for dinner. It's about reaching out beyond the boundary lines of your friends. Across the boundary lines that divide us of race, of politics, of religion even. It's about reaching across that and saying, hey, hey, I'm a part of this new social order, this new kingdom, and you're welcome in it. You are welcome. In fact, historians argue that, that like this was the primary way that the gospel spread at such a rapid pace in the early church. Like from a few hundred eating in an upper room together from over half of the Roman Empire in just three centuries. Like toppling, toppling paganism itself. Like, do you see anybody worshiping Zeus anymore? No. If, unless you're really weird, I don't know. And they did this with no political power. No legal protection under waves of persecution with no internet, no sound systems, no printing press, no churches, no stages, no celebrity pastors. The gospel just spread from one house to the next, from one table to the next. And it changed the entire course of human history. Guys, this is the kingdom of God. And hospitality is the means by which we invite people into it. And so I think that these two spiritual practices, they're, I think they're important to sharing the good news. I'm not saying like there's a one-size-fits-all way of sharing the gospel. I think everyone maybe has a different idea, a different vision for it. But I think that these two spiritual practices are really core to what Jesus says it means to, to spread the good news, to build his kingdom. And I think that if we don't, take a step forward in our willingness and our boldness to take this message, this good news to an increasingly broken and hurting world, then, man, I, I think it's, it's kind of like owning an iPhone and never using it. It's kind of like owning an iPhone and never using it. Like, I don't know if you've seen the newest iPhone 12 or whatever. Maybe some of you guys have it. But they're cool. Like, they look sweet. They look bougie, if I'm being honest. Like, they got, like, the chrome outline. The colors are really sweet. They look high class. They're cool. But just, like, imagine someone's like, no, nah, I don't really use it, though. Like, I have it because it, it just makes me look cool. Like, when I have this thing, oh, man, people just look at me like I'm so awesome. And you're like, well, doesn't that thing have, like, the fastest processor and, like, the best camera and, like, it's on 5G and all that stuff. Like, shouldn't you be taking advantage of that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not really into that. I just like to keep it in the box. And you're like, well, I'm pretty sure you're missing out on the whole point of the phone. Like, it's meant to connect you with other people. You're kind of missing out on its whole purpose. It's kind of like being a Christian and keeping, your, keeping it all to yourself. It's like living in the kingdom of God in this beautiful place. A kingdom without borders where anyone is welcome, anyone is allowed in. Broken people are made whole in this kingdom. It's like living in this kingdom and never letting anybody else know that they have a free invite. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced now is the time to go. Because never before in human history have people had so much. 
Never before have people had so much yet been so dissatisfied because they desperately wanted so much more. Guys, we live in a culture that is constantly searching for that thing. And Jesus says, I'm that thing. I am the living water. Like, run to me and you will thirst no more. So I think that the big, like 64,000 foot question that we need to ask ourselves today as we leave here today, it's, it's a simple one, but it's not that comfortable. I think we need to ask ourselves, like, do I actually believe the good news? Like, do I actually believe the good news? And if you believe it, like, are you spending time with Jesus, getting to know his character, letting him fill you with the fullness of joy and salvation? Like, when you show up here on a Sunday morning, I think kind of like a a good temperature gauge for your spiritual fire or passion is to ask yourself, like, how am I leaving this place? Like, am I leaving here, walking out the doors, being like, ah, Chipotle, here I come. I've been thinking about you all morning. Like, I've, I've been there. Are you, are you leaving, thinking about the football game, or thinking about what plans you have for the rest of the day? Or are you, like, leaving, being over, just overflowing with Holy Spirit? Like, so fired up from spending time worshiping God Almighty, spending time in the presence of Jesus. Spending time in his kingdom, so much so that, like, you're just busting out the doors like, quick, somebody find me a lost person. (laughs) So when it gets to the point where we leave in a few minutes, like, what's it going to be for you? How are you, the church, going to expand past these walls and go out, show hospitality? As we close today, We're going to sing a classic. I think it qualifies as a worship classic at this point. We're going to sing, Give me faith. Give me faith to trust what you say. Give me faith to believe that this is good news. And I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me like your spirit is strong in me. So as I head out of those doors, look out. Look out, world. And as we sing these words together, i Like, let passion, let passion well up in you again. Let belief start to overflow. Guys, I don't know if you've seen a cup when it's overflowing, but stuff gets everywhere. It's a mess. It's messy. So be filled to overflowing today. Because man, like the world needs it. The world needs it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Guys, let's pray. Jesus, give me faith. Give me faith to trust that what you have accomplished for us, what you've accomplished for me is good. God, would my joy be proof of this good news? Would my joy as I head out from here be proof that you are true, that you are real, that you are alive, that you're active in my life. Give me faith. We need you, Jesus. I'm going to have the band come out here. And you know, I've been talking a lot about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And at the very beginning of Mark's gospel account, it says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news.
He said, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And this word repent, like, what does it mean? I think a lot of us have maybe grown up thinking it means just, like, stop sinning and agree in your mind that Jesus is God. Well, that's, like, sort of it. The word repent literally means a change of mind or of worldview or of values. I heard it put this way, like, rethink everything you think you know about who God is, who you are, and what the good life you crave actually is, and put your trust and confidence in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for us to heal you and to save you and to free you and to lead you to that life that you're craving for. You know, for most of us, our faith journey is it's just that. It's a journey. It's about coming to this realization of what the good life that we, we all crave actually is. And Jesus says, it's me. So I want to acknowledge, some of you might just be at like the very beginning of your journey. Some of you might be right in the middle of it, and you're just trying to figure out like, what does it even mean to follow Jesus? But if you're at a point today where you feel like, man, I just want to make today, I want to mark today as a point in my journey where I decided to just finally let it sink in. Like, I believe this. I believe this good news. I'm going to let it shape me and transform me and, and heal me. Like, if you're at that point, I want to encourage you during this last song, just go out into the lobby. We've got people that are going to follow up with you. We've got a follow-up team out there that's going to get you some really, really important resources so you can be well on your way to following Jesus with, with your life, with everything that you are. So let me pray one more time, and then we're going to sing this final song together. You can head out there if that's you. Jesus, we need you. We need your, your love. We need your your healing. We need the freedom that comes from knowing you. And so God, work in this place. Give us boldness to go out. Give us boldness. And I think sometimes, God, it's more simple than we make it out to be. Like we think we got to go out and we got to like do it all. But God, you've given each one of us relationships. You've given each one of us people. You've given each one of us family. You've given each one of us neighbors to just to love, to invite into your kingdom, to show hospitality to, to, to share this good news with. So God, don't let, like, don't let us overthink it. Just fill us with good news and let it overflow. We love you so much.